If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to join me in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're starting a new series today. We just came out of the Golden Oldies series. For those of you who missed it, you need to go online and listen to it via SoundCloud or podcast or whatever you use. Man, what an, what an incredible series, an incredible journey back through the Old Testament. Take a look at God's faithfulness to his children. Ryan Stephen dished it last week. Pelzetta dished it the week before. I've had three weeks out of the pulpit, so I'm ready to go. All right, let me grab my pen. Okay, what's in a name? What's in a name? William Shakespeare in his lyrical tale of two star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet, wrote about their love and their passion for each other. Romeo Montague and Juliet Capulet met and they fell madly in love with each other. They were doomed, however, from the start of their relationship because they were, they were from two separate families who were uh, at odds with each other, even warring with each other. And in the play, Romeo tells, or Juliet tells Romeo that a name is artificial, that it's, it's meaningless, it's convention. And she tells him, she says, I, I love you. I love you as the person. I don't love the person called Montague. I don't love the Montague name. I don't love the Montague family. I love you. And then Romeo, out of his passion for Juliet, he, he vows to denounce his father and reject his father and denounce his family name and instead be immersed in, in Juliet's love. And then there's this one short but classic line that encapsulates the, the entire play. It's really central to the, to the struggle and the tragedy that, that is this play. And it's one of Shakespeare's most famous quotes. That which we call a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Hmm. And here's the thing. This is a reference that uh, is often used to imply that, that, that names of things just are arbitrary, that they, they don't make a difference, that they don't really affect us um, that much. It, it just doesn't matter. But I'm here to tell you today that names are far less arbitrary and more important than Romeo would have us to believe. A name often reflects a person's character and personality. A name can evoke strong imagery and strong memories. Think about it. Throw out a few names and, and see if you don't have an image that comes to your mind immediately. Here's the first one. You guys ready for this one? SpongeBob SquarePants. Now, you know you saw the sponge, the little square sponge with the beady eye guy walking around, right? Batman. Captain America. Right? You can see the imagery, just names. How about real people? Like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, or Jeffrey Dahmer. Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, 
These names, family, conjure up all kinds of, of feelings and emotions and experiences. So yes, names are more than just an arbitrary word. What's in a name? A ton. A name is significant, and that's why names are super important to us. Just think of the struggle, if you're a parent, just think of the struggle that many of you went through just to pick out a name for your child. It might have even led to an argument or two picking out a name, right? Now, my kids, they're older. My, my youngest is 27, I think. So it's been a while since we had to pick out a, the name of a child. But here just recently, we had to pick out a name for our newest child. His name, I don't even tell you his name. I'll tell you his name in a minute. This is our newest child right here. Isn't he adorable? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Show the next one, Nate. Because what I want you to understand is he, you know, he seems like harmless, but he's wascally. His name is, is Maximus. So he is a max amount of fun and energy. Trust me when I tell you that. And so we waited for a while to pick his name because we wanted to pick a name that matched his personality. Listen, he is a dog, right? He's a dog. He's not a person. A person's name is more than just a mere identifier. A person's name gives us a place in our family, and it identifies us with the rest of the world. In North America, in our culture, we find ourselves naming our children names that are unique or, or special or one of a kind. Trust me, I know I come from a family where, where all, of my, all of my immediate family's names are, are special. My wife's name is Pelzetta, P-E-L-L-Z-I-T-H-A. My, my daughter's name is Tia Luttrell. And my son's name is Lucretius Dante. My name is Greg. <laughs> you know, so we, we name these names and, and you know, and, and they're appealing, they're good, they're, they're significant to us, they're unique, they're special. In the Bible, though we encounter an entirely different culture, in the Bible a name held significant meaning and importance, and especially in Jewish culture, because in Jewish culture, a name carried more than your identity. A name that you were given was more than just a, a descriptor of who you were presently. Your name was a description of how you were expected to live and who you were intended to be. In fact, the name was so important in Scripture that there are a couple times that several people uh, God, God changed the names of several people to better define or describe who he had intended for them to be. So over the next couple of weeks, family, we're going to take a look at, at what's in the name. We're going to talk about the importance of it. And more specifically, we're going to talk about the specifics of what a name change means for us as a church. What significance it carries. And how, and how it will identify us right now for who we are, and just as importantly, and sometimes even more important, who God has intended for us to be. What's in a name matters more than you think. Our name identifies us with, with who we are. Our name identifies us with the rest of the world. And so to this end, I have three points that I want to make to you today that I want to cover with you today about knowing your name. Okay. 
Knowing your name promotes confidence in your identity. It often preempts contempt and calamity. And it absolutely provides clarity of vision and destiny. I think these three points express the joy that God wants us to experience as, as he gives us a good name. Not only that, but, but, but I believe that God wants us to enjoy a name so much, our name so much, that if we are walking around with a bad name, he wants to give us a new one. He wants to change it. He wants to change that negative name that's on us to a positive name. He wants to change it. Here's the first point. Knowing your name promotes confidence in your identity. A name is so important, family that God himself divinely assigned Jesus Christ, his son, a name. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 20, says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to Joseph, Hey, brother, don't be afraid to take Mary as your spouse, as your wife, for that which is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, and she's going to bring forth a son. And you're to call his name. Everybody say name. You're to call his name Jesus. Why? Because it's important. He is going to save his people from their sins. And then Paul turns around. He writes to us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in the heaven and in the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ was, was given his name so that when we bow our knee and surrender our lives to his lordship, he can give us a brand new name that better describes who we are. If you've been living on this earth any period of time, you've been given names that describe you. This names, these names have even placed on you by someone else or accepted or embraced by you over a period of time. And I would say to each one of you and here myself included with a certain degree of certainty that, that at least one of the names that you've been given has stuck with you. And it's a negative name. It's a derogatory name. And it serves as a label for your basic self-concept in life and who you are. Maybe it's attached to something that you've been doing for so long and you've been confronted with so often that it just that 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 thing just feels like it's part of you. It feels like it's stuck to you. And so you wear it like a badge. You ever, you ever been to one of those get togethers where you have like this, the sticky badges that you have to write your name on and and then you, you pull it off and you stick it to yourself. Hi, my name is. Right. There are some names that we've been given that have stuck to us. Hi, my name is inconsiderate. Hi, my name is mean. Hi, my name is jealous. Hi, my name is, is envious, rebellious, bitter, lonely, sad, depressed. Somehow throughout life, one of these names or some of these names have stuck to us, stuck with us. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day. 
He told me, he said, you know, Greg, he said, for so long, I thought that I was an accident. And so, and so I carried around the fact that I was an accident, like a name that I would wear as a badge. See, I was adopted and I, I, my, I didn't know my parents. I thought my parents didn't want me and that they didn't love me. And so this whole time, my whole life, I'm in my 50s now, I thought I was an accident and that was my name. I wore it like a badge. Sometimes we wear things like a badge that, that stick to us and we feel like we're stuck with it. And we don't realize that as followers of Jesus Christ, God has already changed our name to something better. With that name change, family, comes the power to live triumphantly and victoriously over that, that very thing that plagues us and has plagued us for so long. I love what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Watch this now. Watch this now. Watch this. And such were some of you. <laughs> some of you had that name. And such were some of you, but watch this now, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name. Everybody say the name in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of God. So I'm here to tell you today, no matter what you're plagued with, no matter what label you've been wearing, no matter what has been stuck to you, no matter how long you've been carrying, Jesus Christ died for that. And we no longer have to live in, in, with that name that has plagued us for so long. Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We've been given a new name. So knowing your name promotes confidence in your identity. I'm a child of God. Have you embraced Jesus Christ? Have you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ? The good news? That the creator of the universe is in love with you? Sent his son to die for you? To give you a right to a new name? A new inheritance? You don't have to leave here the same if you have not. Knowing your name promotes confidence in your identity and knowing your name often preempts contempt and calamity. Genesis chapter 12, if you're there, Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram. Now, you know, I just got to tell you as I'm teaching this, I'm so used to saying Abraham. So if I get to Abraham before I'm supposed to, you guys just make the mental switch in your mind and go to Abram, all right? And I'll talk to you about Abraham in a few minutes. Y'all with me? Okay, so God calls Abram out of his country and away from his kindred, and he makes some special, precious promises to him. And at the time that he called Abraham, or Abram, he was, he was 75 years old, 75 years old, and Abram and Sarai were childless. 
And here's what God says. He promises to bless him and to make him a great and mighty nation. He says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He makes a promise to him. Then if you drop down to verse 10, you see that a great famine engulfed the land. And, and Abram and his family, Abram and Sarai, had to take their family and all their possessions and journey towards Egypt because there, were, there was resources in Egypt that could sustain them through the famine. But Abram had a problem, see, because remember a couple of weeks ago when, when Pelzetta was talking about, about um, Esther? Yeah. And she said how fine Esther was. The scripture says that Sarai was fine. This woman was in her 60s, man, and she was looking good. She was looking so good that, that Abram told us, hey, look, li listen, listen, when, when we get to Egypt, I need you to do this little thing for me, right? Because you are so fine, girl, that they're going to want to take you from me. And if they know that you're my wife, they'll kill me so they can have you. So I need you to tell them you're my sister, right? Why? And, and see, because Abram still didn't get it. He didn't get it. He hadn't got it yet. See, because how can his offspring, how can his offspring be so numerous and multiply if he's dead? So he hadn't got it yet. Right, so we fast forward now, and, and, uh, and the king finds out that, that, that uh, Sarai is not Abram's sister, but his wife. And so he kicks him out the crib, and now they got to travel and, and go down into the land of Canaan. So now let's fast forward. Let's fast forward down to chapter 13. So in chapter 13, dropping down to verse 14, God visits Abram again. Here's what he says. After he had separated from Lot. So let me back up and grab that story. See, when Abram and, and, and his family left Egypt, they had so much possession. He and his nephew, Lot, whom he loved, they had so much possession and so much cattle and livestock that it was consuming the land that they were in. So they had to separate. Right. And Abram had the right to take the good land, but he decided I'm going to let Lot have that. Right. So now let's pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 13. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Now watch this. So, so Abram is standing in a spot and God has him look all the way around, including the land that he had just given to Lot and said, I'm giving you this land to possess it. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. God has given him a visual, y'all. God is saying, listen, I made a promise to you that I was going to number your seed. And now I'm going to show you if you can if you can if you can just look at every grain of sand on the earth and count the grains of sand. If you can do that, then you can count how many children you're going to have. But you can't. That's that's the power of 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 what I promised you and what I intend to bring to pass in your life. Abram still didn't get it. 
And so we fast forward now to chapter 15. Look what God does. Verse 1. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield and your great reward. Now, let me tell you why he's telling him to fear not. Because back in chapter 14, um, like several kings, like four or five kings from the east had combined their armies, right? And so with this combined army, they were sweeping through the land and they were, they were I mean, they were like capturing everything and they, and they were taking prisoners as part of their conquest, right? And, and Abraham's nephew, Lot, was caught in that mix. And so Abram, Abram loved Lot so much that he took 318 mighty, well-trained men, went into the camp of his enemies, went and got Lot out and brought him back home, right? So Lot is home with him. So the Lord comes to Abram, because Abram's thinking, any time now these armies are going to come overtake us. He comes to Abram and says, don't fear. He says, for I'm your shield and your great reward. But Abram said, oh, Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house, Eleazar of Damascus, is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. Now look at what God does. God takes him outside. He says, now look at the stars of the heavens. He said, look at them. And if you are able to number them, then you can number your offspring. So God has given him another visual, but Abram still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. So now let's go to chapter 16. Begin at verse 1, because he still doesn't get it. So now Abram goes to Sarah. Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to, to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now I tell you, there's so many different ways that, that I could go with this, but suffice it to say, if you heard Ryan last week, he talked about the sin in the garden. And he talked about whose voice are you listening to? Who told you you were naked? At this point, Abram is getting ready to listen to another voice that is not the voice of God. He says, she says, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. God didn't prevent her from bearing children. Her not being able to bear children was a result of sin, right? But she's blaming it on God. I think this woman was spiteful. I think she was angry because she didn't have no babies. I believe that. He says, so then... Guys, get this. So go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. How many married men in the house? Let me see here. How do you think that went? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Hmm. God wants to prevent us from having contempt and calamity in our, in our lives. Ishmael is born. 
out of season. Why was he born? Because Abram had decided instead of listening to the voice of God that he was going to take matters into his own hands. And he creates this mess that he's involved in for 13 years. He has two women that are contentious against each other. For 13 years, they are at each other's throat. Solomon writes in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs chapter 27, he says, he said, listen, brothers, it's better to be on the rooftop, on the side of a rooftop on a house than to be in a, in, 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 than to be in a house with the one contentious woman. This brother's got two. <laughs> yes, brother, I hear you. <laughs> and, and then to top it off, I, I love this part. And to top this off, now he has this rambunctious child, right, that even God said was going to be a wild-ass man. I said it, Ryan. It's right there in the Scripture. Okay, you don't believe me? I, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want y'all to check out on me. Go to, Hebrew, go to Genesis chapter 16, verse 12, talking about Ishmael. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man. King James says, wild-ass. So now he's got this, this, I know it's crazy, isn't it? Hey, I wouldn't preach it if it wasn't in the word, man. It's in the word, right? So now he's got this kid that's born out of season that God said was going to give him trouble. Why? Why, family? This is what I don't want you to miss. Because he took matters into his own hands. And as a result of that, he lived for 13 years in a household that was full of contempt and calamity. And God wants to prevent us. He wants to preempt us from having to go through that. What matters have you taken into your own hands? What are, what are some of the things that God has said, hey, listen, you give this to me and I can handle this so much better than you can in a very short period of time than you toiling over trying to handle this matter and making a mess of it. What are you finding yourself in that's, that's creating contempt and calamity in your life? There's a very good possibility that you've tried to handle that situation on your own. But I'm here to tell you today the God that we serve gives us grace for that, doesn't he? Okay, so to my final point, knowing, knowing your name does one thing, it promotes confidence in your identity. Second, it often preempts contempt and calamity. And third, it absolutely provides clarity of vision. Let's go to Genesis chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read it through verse 8. And, Abraham was, and Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between you and you may, mult and may multiply you greatly. <laughs> 13 years now. 13 years he's been going through this calamity. Look what the scripture says. And then Abram fell on his face. You know, I, I, I could just picture and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you for delivering me. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multitude of nations. Now watch what he does. And no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. 
And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into many nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and me and your offspring forever throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 15. Look what he says to Sarai. And God said to Abraham, ask for Sarai, your wife. You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And moreover, I will give her I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings, and peoples shall come from her. So here's what happens. God, at the tail end of Abram's life, does something that's significant. He changes Abram's name from High father to Abraham, meaning the father of multitude. He changes Sarai's name from my princess to Sarah, which means mother of many nations or multitudes. So it begs the question, why did God sometimes change a person's name in the Bible? Why did he do it? I believe that when God changed the name of a person, it was usually to establish a brand new identity. I believe it was designed to get their speech to line up with their spirit, to get their mouth to line up with their mind. I believe it was, it was for them to hear themselves say what God is saying and to see themselves write what God was saying as they wrote their name. I believe it was for them to rehearse over and over and over again what destiny they were designed for. I believe that it was just a rehearsal of God's fulfillment of his promise and his plan for them. In chapter 17, verse 1, God makes this statement. He says, Abram, I am the Lord God Almighty. I am. He reminded, of Abram, he reminded Abram of who he was. And then he told Abram exactly what he was going to do. He says in that little, in that little passage of Scripture, that little section, he says, I will do. I will do. He says, I will do this and that five times in that small little passage. I'll do it. If I do it, it can't be undone. If I do it, a blessing will result. I'll do it. And what's more, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham because I want to give you a crystal clear vision, not only for who you are, right now, but for what I've called you to be and who I've called you to be. It's an incredible story of God's faithfulness to his children. Melissa, you can come up if you would. What's your point, Pastor? I think this is an excellent example for us. Because as a church now, we've been working through the process of becoming an independent, self-governed church body. For several months now, myself and, and elders and the key leaders of our, of our congregation, our church family, have talked about the significance of what a name change will look like for us, what it would mean for us. And I believe that it's the will of God for us to change our name, family. 
And listen, I know we didn't plan it this way. We really didn't plan it this way. But, but it's not a coincidence that, that, that we're looking at changing our name at the same time as God is moving us from this place to a brand new place of worship. It's not a coincidence. It's a truly exciting time in the life of our church. I'm excited about it. And so as I said earlier, I believe our new name will not only describe who we are right now as a family, but I think that it will speak volumes to who God wants us to be and his vision that he's called us to as a church family. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to, to, to fast, if you will, and pray, if you will, and seek God's wisdom. God, who is it that you called us to be? What does that name look like? And then over the next few weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to write down and submit to us what you believe God is saying about the new name of our church. It's a process, I think, that God will be pleased with and a process that will give you all an opportunity as our church family to speak and do it as well. Father, I thank you that your word declares for us that nothing catches you by surprise. You knew long before you formed and fashioned us in our mother's womb that you would knit us together as a church family, one body, one family for your glory with a plan and a purpose and a vision. Lord, I'm asking you that the work that you have begun in us, that you will complete it. And in the process of that, Lord, give us many, many things to celebrate together as a family. For you are at work. And we want to join you in what you're already doing. You know, you might be here today and you might not, you not, you might not be able to, to resonate with, with what it means to be given a new name by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a name that you will enjoy in eternity because you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. If that's you in here, you don't have to leave here the same today. I'm going to ask those elders who are out there if you'll come up to the, to the front of the stand, to the front of the stage, and if you're on our prayer team, if you'll just stand out in the aisles. And if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, we want to be the first to welcome you into the body of Christ. Why don't you stand to your feet? Are you right with the Lord? It's this simple. Not a lot of gray to it. If you were to die right now standing in this place, where would you spend eternity? 
If you don't know, you don't have to leave here uncertain. We would love to be able to pray with you and pray for you. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. For those of you who are part of our church family and for those of you who are visiting, we invite you to the table. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, listen, before you partake of the elements, before you take of, partake of the blood and, and, and the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, examine yourself. Examine your heart. Do what David says in Psalms 139. Search my heart and see if there's any iniquity in me. Show me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Right now, it's a time for you to search your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to search you. Father, thank you for your word. We know that it is forever settled in heaven. May you settle it in our hearts as we continue our move forward into, into the future that you already have planned and the destiny that you have set aside for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.